Ladies and gentlemen, once again, we invite you to lift the latch, open the door, step right in and take the floor. On a Saturday afternoon in June 1962, in Dublin city centre, a flatbed CIE truck carrying two large crates pulled up outside 21 Lincoln Place. A workman put straps on one of the crates, which was then carefully lifted up by the forklift parked beside the truck. Slowly, the crate was lowered to the first floor window, the frame of which had to be removed in order for the crate to fit through the window. In the crate is an IBM 1620 computer. It cost 10,000 Irish pounds, and that was expensive, considering the cost of an average family home in 1962 was £2,000. There's two figures at the window, and there are two technicians, but they're visible in one photograph, and then in the next photograph, the crate is just approaching the window, and, and an arm extends, and it's wearing a grey jacket, and you can tell it's John Byrne, because he's the only one there who's wearing a grey jacket. So the actual instant of arrival of, of the first computer in Trinity is greeted by John Byrne's arms. And you never hear him mentioned in, in connection with the, the IT industry here? Never? That was Professor Jane Gibson. The first person you heard was Fellow of Trinity, Dan McCarthy. And who was John Byrne? Jane is right, most people had never heard of John Byrne. Extraordinary, considering what this man went on to achieve. You see, helping that computer through the window on Lincoln Place only marks the start of what this man went on to do. In the, um, in the obituary that was published in the Irish Times just after his death, it was that John Byrne neither sought nor appreciated recognition. Now, to say a person didn't seek recognition would be relatively unusual, but wouldn't be unknown. But to add that he didn't appreciate recognition is an astonishing. I've never seen it. But it was accurate, you know, John. You know, if John was in this room, he'd be given out to me, you know. He would have to give out to a lot of people, his friends, his family, students and colleagues, who want to tell his story. And... Uh... So I think it's wonderful that there's a, the documentary is being done to tell tell the story. He wouldn't have. No, no, he would have probably cringed. This is the story of Professor John Byrne. And for those that knew him, they knew him as the father of computing in Ireland. And maybe he would have cringed, but this is about recognising what he did. So who was this man, John Byrne? He was born in Dublin in 1933, where he lived until he died on the 16th of April 2016. He began studying engineering in Trinity in 1951. He was a Catholic, so he had to get special dispensation from the bishop to go to Trinity. And there he studied and worked for over five decades. A bachelor all his life and the only child of Doreen and Brendan Byrne. They were a very close family, dedicated to each other. The people he worked with formed close bonds with him that lasted right to the end of his life. Those that I talked to about the professor were staunchly loyal to him and had a deep regard for him. I asked Maeve Williams, wife of his cousin Edmund Williams, what he was like as a man. A lovely person, yeah. But um, quiet, reserved. Um, he didn't really have any mass on worldly goods. I mean, it didn't bother him really what he was wearing. That didn't bother him. It was what was in his head and what he could learn and what he could teach. 
I think that was basically him. A shy man, passionate about horse racing. He had a very distinctive look. He would often be seen on a bus heading into Trinity or cycling around Dublin on his bike. I asked a few people to describe what he looked like. Professor Neville Harris, his oldest friend and colleague, referred me to a reference in a book called Professor John Byrne Reminiscence, edited by Chris Horn. So when the professor passed away, his colleagues wanted to do something to honour him. So they compiled a book where those that knew him wrote a piece about him. Well, I don't know whether you've read John Stearns and he talks about this fellow at the bus stop, you know, that he used to see uh, going into Trinity on the bus. And uh, we both got off the bus when it reached the college, so I had often noticed the distinctive, curiously disheveled figure making his way to work. Sometimes I wondered how the man from the bus passed his days in Trinity. More often, though, he came to mind as part of Dublin's social streetscape, the people that everyone knows because they're a bit different. You give him tuppence looking at him, you know. I think he got away with the idea of being the eccentric professor. Mike Brady, once a student of the professor and now the head of learning and teaching of undergraduates in Trinity's Computer Science School. As a lecturer, he was quite poor. And so he'd come into the lecture and he would have prepared the lecture. I mean, he was getting through the material. You could you could tell that. And he'd talk very slowly or very lightly and maybe talk to the board and maybe then draw something on the board and then talk a bit more about it and then apparently go on to something else. Looking back on the material, the material was really pretty impressive. Um, I remember him talking about error estimation methods and uh, methods for calculating squares and square roots and stuff like that in computers, which would have been quite advanced for the time. I mean, he's a very well-spoken man uh, and a very gentle man and very uh, well, I mean, it sounds kind of trivial. He was very well educated. He, he had, he wasn't just, you know, a narrow engineer, so he could talk about nearly anything. You know, I know he's been sort of characterised as the father of computing in Ireland and, and that's, you know, that's a good designation, but, you know, we tend to make people think only of him in association with computers and computing, but well, there was this other side to John, which was his interest in history, his interest in culture, his interest in the development and, um, and the application of science and technology for the good of humankind. And so he was interested to understand where ideas had come from. But looking at him, yeah, you could say, hmm, yeah, he could use a new suit or he could use a haircut or stuff like that. It, it did. It seemed as if people just gave him a buy. You know, they they just had to listen to him, and the the breadth of his knowledge and the and the size of his mind was 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 enough for most people. Yeah, I I think that's true. He, John was very much a visionary and ahead of his time, and it, it's extraordinary given that I, I know how shy he was. He wasn't a great communicator, but how he managed in his quiet way to convince people that this was something worth worth doing. I mean, when you, when you listen to him, uh, he just had a, a breadth of vision that was absolutely phenomenal, incredible. And thanks to the work of Maurice O'Keefe, Irish Life and Lore, we can listen to him. Recorded in 2011 in the long room at Trinity. I was careful to try and keep it as an engineering discipline, which there is, because it's about building systems. And uh, my philosophy, I mean, we have to keep in contact with industry 
and we have to do some of the things they want. But uh, we're trying to train people not for industry today, which some places try to do, but for industry in the future. Try to teach them material that will help them to learn for themselves uh, throughout their career. So, in the early 1960s in Ireland, Professor John Byrne started to explore in Trinity the possibilities and potential of computers. In 1962, there was just a handful of computers in Ireland, and that, according to a lot of those in authority, was quite sufficient. John Stern, founder of Tech Archive. Uh, at that stage, there were, in the whole of Ireland, maybe half a dozen computers. Um, there was one in, uh, uh, in Thurlis at the uh, Irish Shore Company factory. That one took three years to get up and running. It was, it was, it was the first. It had arrived in 1957. DSB installed its first computer in 1960, and that was also the first time that IBM sold a computer in Ireland. And how, in the early 60s in Ireland... Professor John Byrne see the potential of computers when most people had not even heard of them. Chris Horn, former student and lecturer in Trinity and co-founder of Iona Technologies, which started as a Trinity campus company. What I found extraordinary is how did he know, how did he even grasp that the application of computers would be so widespread? His own background was as a civil engineer, so designing buildings and structures. He started uh, through his experience in, in the UK to understand how computers could be used to help design such structures at a time perhaps when this was only beginning to be realised within civil engineering design. So he would have been at the forefront of using computers to actually design civil engineering structures. That initial contact with computers was in 1956 when the professor was doing his PhD in Trinity on contortion in reinforced concrete beams. I was uh, working on a problem, uh, the torsion of, of hollow beams, which uh, involved solving uh, partial differential equations. So I was sitting down at a desk calculator uh, trying to solve these equations. Computers were being manufactured from the late 40s and the early 50s. John learned that, um, that there was one in Stafford. And I heard that there was somebody in English Electric had a program uh, for solving my equations. So I wrote to the, the head of the department or director or something like that, and he was delighted to hear from somebody who had an application for his program, and he invited me over for the summer. And uh, that's what started me off. I, uh... But... I believe that he saw at that time the the potential. He just saw that there was an immense scope for the developing of the ideas, and that's proven to be the case, you know. I mean, Computers were being used quite a bit already at that time, as you might imagine, in the US and to a smaller extent, of course, in Britain. So it would have been possible to see that there were lots of um, application areas opening up for computers, expensive and uh, and all as they were at the time in banking, for example, in in some areas of engineering, civil engineering, that Prof Byrne would have had first-hand knowledge of. But to be able to see that it was going, that computers were going to change the world, I think I certainly, even as a young man, I didn't see that that was going to happen. I thought that there was going to be um, 
there were going to make there was going to be a, a you know a career in it and it was very interesting but to see to foresee the effects that it it has had I think Prof Byrne may have seen that but I certainly didn't. Professor Jane Gibson's father was Professor Wright who was head of engineering in Trinity and Professor John Byrne's PhD supervisor. What I read too was that he credited a lot to your father. He, he always felt that your father was the guy that made things happen, not him. You know? uh, that's typical of John Byrne. Credit goes to other people. But my understanding is that my father definitely saw the potential of, of computing, and so he was incredibly supportive when John Byrne joined the, the engineering school of facilitating him to, to develop computing. And in some ways, like John, good at navigating the system to get, make things happen. Yes, I think, I think my father was, uh, was important in getting computing off the ground. But I suppose, in a sense, he gave John Byrne the ball and John Byrne ran with it. And he did run with it. Professor John Byrne set about building a department dedicated to educating people in computers. This was in the early 1960s when Ireland was just starting to emerge from the austerity and massive emigration of the 1950s. A country that had missed the Industrial Revolution and was almost entirely dependent on the agricultural industry. Here was this young man, excited and driven by this new technology, who wanted to provide the opportunities for students to explore the potential of computers. So along with Professor Wright, he started to build the department. Then uh, Neville Harris, who, who should get a mention in, in all this, he was a very good graduate here, and he went to Illinois, and he, he got introduced to the computer there too. And uh, he worked for a while, and then he came back. We were able to take him on here, which was very lucky. And, uh, and eventually I came back after um, I was earning heaps of dollars in the States and uh, you know I came back for a a, a very little stipend uh, to Trinity and I remember somebody in Trinity saying you left a job with that much money and came back to Trinity so anyway kind of money has never been my so he lured you back with salary, did he? <laughs> no, he did. So you came with this wealth of knowledge? No, it wasn't a wealth. It was a basic knowledge. Well, I, I knew Fortran programming, you know. But Fortran programming was for scientific and for engineering. And uh, so kind of Prof, uh, who was Prof Wright, and John, I'd say wanted me back uh, a bit for the Fortran programming, I'd say, and and lured me back with the bully. <laughs> uh, but it didn't interest me too much. So just like Professor John Byrne, Neville Harris was a young man returning to Ireland to share his knowledge of this new technology, excited by all of its potential. Anyway, and kind of for my sins, I... Uh, I also came back by liner, so my brothers had to come down in with a trailer to bring all my luggage back, all the books and everything. Technical, of course not. Imagine him, with his great load of technical books, coming back into Ireland in the 1960s, 
and it was with these books he was going to share the knowledge of this new technology. And kind of, we, we were in the kind of forefront of uh, the computer field, and we we learned from books if there were any, and there weren't. So, of course, like, you didn't have the internet to share knowledge. Of oh, these. none of it, no. Yeah, we we went to summer schools where all the researchers from uh, the whole the world came who got funding from NATO and people like this to hold summer schools. And they went to each other's lectures and were learning from one another. And we would come back and teach our students. And uh, and we had so many students that uh, we didn't have blinking time to do research, <laughs> you know. So... Uh, their focus lay on expanding the department. Another key member of staff who stayed with the professor to the end was Rosemary Welsh, who started working as a computer operator in the early 1960s. She had heard about the position in Trinity from a friend of her family. And he was just talking about this wonderful machine that could do hundreds of calculations in seconds and all that sort of thing. In those days, you went in sectarial work. That was really the job where you worked in a shop or something like that. So there was no way I wanted to work as a secretary because I couldn't spell. My grammar was terrible, so I said, it's all numbers, this is for me. (laughs) I had even been thinking of that I would go to London to try and learn how to use these computers. It had crossed my mind even at that stage. She had heard that the professor was setting up a master's in computer application. She had just left school after her leaving cert, and as a woman, there was very few opportunities to go into college. So instead, she applied for the job as computer operator. So what was it like when you started here with Professor Burr? Oh, it was great. It was all, I had a place to myself and the computer to myself. I more or less, well, with his help, obviously, taught myself how the computer works and... Uh, played around with it. Every year I had to learn, so that was that's why I stayed in this job so long, because you never, go, never, nothing ever stayed the same. It just sounds so exciting. It like Aye, well, it was because yeah, because we hadn't there was nothing around like that. I mean, it was new technology, and people didn't even know what a computer was. Any time I said I worked on with on a computer, they just said a contometer, you know, a machine for calculating, like in shops and that. And no, no, it's not. It's a computer. Professor John Byrne was in charge. And what was he like as a boss? Michael Nolan. 1979, when the computer science department uh, took advantage of the manpower scheme from the IDA and started uh, full-time day courses, I got a job uh, with the then Professor Byrne as a system administrator in in computer science, and I was there for 16 years until 1995. Um, At that time, Prof Byrne was my boss. Boss, leader, he was never your boss. He he, um, was always a leader. He would would teach you um, and, and... he was the founder of the department. He was very, he was kind of the father figure in the, in the department and always known as the prof. He knew what everybody was up to, even as the department grew. And It could be said that it was autocratic, but it was a, a very benevolent autocracy. 
Uh, he managed uh, the, the, the department with little notebooks that he kept in his, his jacket pocket and everything was written down in, into these notebooks. I, I, and also, I, I don't think he... Well, would he describe? He wouldn't describe himself as a leader. I mean, he was head of department. Okay, his his leadership style was uh, was so so selfless. Uh, you know, he he stood back and and, and enabled others uh, to succeed. But I don't think it would fit into any manual for for the ideal leader qualities for a leader. And, and he could be very chaotic. His study was was absolutely. It was like, uh, somebody described it as uh, like Francis Bacon's studio. John's office was legendary. What you would find in it would be just enormous piles of paper. And his desk would be completely covered with such piles. And the floor and all the chairs would be piled high with mountains of books and papers and things. In conversation you might be talking about something to do with courses or departmental matters or faculty matters, staff matters... And uh, if a question of something that had been written would come up, John would reach over to one of these piles, down maybe ten inches, and would pull out a single sheet of paper. The minutes of the meeting where this was discussed. How did he do it? None of us could ever know. He had some sort of GPS mind where documents all had a location in it. And to everybody else, they looked to be in disarray. But John could remember where they were. You know, for somebody who was such a good administrator, it was, to me, it was always astonishing that he had... um, He may have had this outward appearance of disarray, but he continued to grow the department, all the time knowing the potential this could have for Ireland. But how did he even know this potential existed? Yeah, well, I think, um, to answer that, I'd go back quite in time, you know, that... His grandfather was a, an architect engineer. His grandfather was Thomas Joseph Byrne. Professor John Byrne, along with Michael Feuer, published the book Thomas Joseph Byrne, Nation Builder, in 2013. Thomas Joseph Byrne was also a shy man who never sought to promote himself. He was a pioneer of approved public housing in Ireland, as well as working on iconic buildings such as Dublin Airport, along with his father-in-law, the acclaimed Irish architect, Anthony Scott. John's father also was a, an engineer, and he worked in buildings, uh, some important buildings and some important restorations. He, he, he helped restore the forecourts and um, the post office after 1916. He likewise was a very skilled administrator and knew government and uh, organisation. And John, who was an only child, grew up in that environment, which was uh, engineering, architectural and administration. To me, he was, he was just intuitive about administration, which I attribute to that family background. Professor John Byrne's influence was seen throughout the five decades he worked in Trinity. His story also traces the evolution of computers in Ireland. So describe the computer that you worked on, what was it like? Oh, it was, a, it was quite small... Uh, and it had all little lights on it and uh, flashed on and off, which I'm sure you've seen in the movies, you know, computers, lights flashing. To save your programmes, now you save them in the memory of your machine. In those days, when you were finished with typing in your programme, you keep your source code and all the rest of it. Uh, you punched it out onto paper tape, so your, the way you've kept your programmes was on paper tape. So 
when we advanced from the 1620, which was the first computer, the next one we were on to punch cards. So it had its own building, which was air-conditioned, had lots of offices, uh, and we really never saw the computer. We never got close to the computer. Uh, the closest we ever got to the computer was when we handed in our deck of cards to be run. And when I arrived, which was in 1971, the operators for the computer at that stage were all women. And women, if they were to come onto the campus in the evening and and the computer worked a 24-hour shift, they had to be escorted by a guard from the front gate of the college to the computer uh, laboratory, as it was known then. There, There were rules about women being on the campus after a certain stage. So these female operators would take the uh, our card deck and put it in a box or something like that. And so that would be brought into the computer in an air-conditioned room and run through the system by operators and then the result put out on a big line printer, a big, fast, very expensive, uh, I'm sure, line printer. And the paper torn off, wrapped around our deck of cards and put back in, in, in a box for us to collect later. So that was as close as we got. At that stage, there were two ways of working with the computer. The, the Most people used punch cards. We did have eight terminals, eight screens attached to that computer that's where you could sit down and write a programme interactively on the screen and run it instantly. And this was a, a, a major difference. And it, it, was, it was very advanced at, at that stage in the college. That, that there were, but of course, eight terminals and there were a lot of people looking for, for access. But always you would have in the background behind you, Professor Byrne would be walking around, looking over your shoulder and saying, oh no, don't do that, or, or, or do it this way, or, or finding solutions for problems that you hadn't even thought of yet. Uh, always a presence. And he never went home. Well, of course, he did go home, but because we, we know he looked after his, his mother. What were you asking the computer to do that was... Like, what sort of... Well, I, I started work as a programmer the year after my master's. And the very first programme I was asked to write was to read the cards... Uh, sorry, every time a student paid their fees, somebody would punch a card and say, Mary Byrne paid... £100. So there would be a card printed. And, and my, my very first programme was to take all of these cards in and print them out so that some clerk could go and look at them and probably add them up that the computer could have done. But, but, it, it was, uh, so it, it, but of course, that, that, was, that was on the administration. The, the uh, research people were trying to model chemical formulae um, people were doing statistics, running statistics on, on that, 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 that were unimaginable, uh, doing them by hand. Um, so all of these things were starting to be used on, 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 on computer at the time. You know, the sky was the limit. So I, I know that our, our, our computers here in Trinity had been used by Dublin Institute of Advanced Studies looking at cosmic rays and things like that, that I, really cutting edge uh, scientific work. Raising the finance to buy these computers was a constant battle of lobbying those in authority. The professor also did things like selling the time on the computers to companies in Dublin. This brought in extra income to further develop the system. 
Uh, the, the cost of running these and the cost of buying these machines was just enormous. So Trinity was actually uh, like was very fortunate to have the likes of Prof Wright and uh, Prof Byrne to actually see and pursue this idea, you know, because otherwise we'd still be back in the dark ages. So I, when I started in, in engineering, I did general engineering. And just to give you an idea how, how backward uh, electronics was, this was in the early 1970s and they were still, uh, they had experiments for students to do and they were still using electronic valves which was like electronic valves had gone out of use. They'd certainly gone out of design in general in the 60s. And here they were saying, well, you know, the principles are still the same. So what's the problem? You know, so so to, to actually jump from that kind of a world to having a, a really modern, very expensive computer properly uh, manned, I, I hesitate to use the, to use the word, but they were, because there were mostly women that were running around it and keeping it running, uh, was a huge step forward, actually gigantic step forward for, for Trinity and for Ireland. This was Ireland in the 1970s. Joe Brennan, deputy leader, Fianna Fáil, in the Doyle last week. Anyone who went into industry at the moment would need to have his head examined. And that's what the crisis is to you and to me this Christmas. So what are the symptoms of that crisis? Unemployment, now the worst since the war. Investment. It could buy the modern machines, but it's not happening. Investment is going down when it should be going up. That was a 1975 edition of Seven Days, broadcast on RTE. And it was in that economic environment that Professor John Byrne was persuading people to invest in computers. Most people in the world had never seen a computer. Had never, ever. But, as you found out about Professor Byrne, you know, in the, in the 50s, he, he saw the potential as, a, as a, a civil engineer. He saw the potential for the calculations on some of his beams that he was, he was working on. He saw the potential of computers at that stage. In, in my career, the 16 years that I, I worked for him, I kept saying to him that technology can't continue at this rate, you know, doubling every few years. And he said, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And every few years I'd say the same thing, and he'd say, you're wrong. And he was correct, I was wrong. It has continued as he predicted. And... Uh I was right in that. I mean, the developments have been amazing, truly amazing. He was interested in what could be done, not what couldn't be done, you know. Many of the things that, um, that I thought were either going to be impossible, like automatic translation of language, he didn't think it was. He thought it would be possible. Well, I think he saw, and rightly saw, that there were so many application areas for this technology that it's got to occupy humankind. Even if we hit a limit today, it's got to occupy humankind for a couple of generations to find out how to use them effectively. And the professor wanted to educate his students from Trinity to compete in and grow the computer industry in Ireland. 
He was the first to consider that computers could be an academic discipline and that students could actually study computing as a degree program. And then he set up so many courses for undergraduates and postgraduates that over the years, so many students, including myself, went through his programs. So, so he, he understood where the discipline was going and was widely read and so was able to point you in directions that you perhaps hadn't even considered or thought about. The other opportunity he saw was for people who are working in either in industries or organisations, including the public sector, that were using IT. Because a lot of people at that time were working, uh, say in the civil service or in the insurance companies or the banks, and they wanted to skill up in computing. But when they qualified, there were no IT degrees. So he set up an evening degree programme which was most unusual for Trinity because Trinity, that was the first evening degree programme. So it was revolutionary uh, at the time, very, very influential. Lots of, you know, the captains of industry of the time or the captains of industry more recently would have gone through those programmes. And that was also very significant because it made very strong connections with the public sector, with industry. And the university at that time wasn't terribly interested. Uh, you know, things have changed a lot now, but it wasn't terribly interested in close relationships with industry. So he managed to sort of navigate the university system and get approval for this. And that's where the network started to a certain degree because and a lot of these people were high-end jobs and they always used John Byrne's name when they wanted to, to um, promote uh, computing in, even in their own industries. You know that you know that's where you should be going. That's where we should we should have one of them and all the rest of it. So when I graduated here as an engineer, I went working as a computer guy in the west of Ireland. This uh, this change in Ireland, where it's becoming a, a tech centre, had had started uh, in the. Um, mid-70s, the company that I was working for had established itself in 1975 or 6 in, in the west of Ireland. Apple had come into Ireland around that time as well. So there were these companies coming in, so the demand was there. It seemed as if none of the other universities were were on the scene very quickly. When these companies were coming in, uh, they it seemed to me that they were a bit surprised that there was a potential source of, of uh, graduates Uh, of skill and possibly even of research actually in Ireland and running pretty well at the time. So I well remember actually quite a few years later in the early 80s, I was teaching a course and um, I remember talking to potential employers uh, at that time. And I said, this is a kind of a slightly technical thing. Uh, I was saying we were we were teaching um, programming on a a computer called the 68000, okay, which was new in 1979 or 1980. Right. And so this is a 1981, I'd say. And so they said 68,000. Do you mean the 6800, which was a computer from the mid 70s? And I said, no, no, we've we've been teaching the 68,000 now for quite a few years. So this company that had come in from Canada, I'm pretty sure, was actually behind the curve as far as new technology was concerned. And we in Trinity were ahead of it. And that was the way we were at the time. We were well ahead of the posse, as it were, in terms of our our educating of of engineers at the time. So companies like Apple coming in uh, and like uh, the company I was working for, Mitel, were, were very surprised to find that there was already a pool of pretty skilled engineers that could teach them something. 
So I mean, there was a combination of different things happening uh, around that time with, with joining the EU and foreign companies were beginning to, to look at English-speaking countries and, and so the government, you know, was providing support, the what became the IDA and so on. Professor John Byrne sat on IDA committees as an advisor. They, they found in John somebody who they really could work very effectively with. I mean, one of the other things that he was uh, quite amazing at was dealing with government, international companies, companies coming to relocate to Ireland. He was a very humble man and yet could talk to the chief executives of the biggest companies one-to-one, no problem, and tell them about the benefits of Ireland and the quality of his students coming out of Trinity and that they could recruit staff. So I don't think many of the multinationals would have been attracted here had there not been a pool of skilled graduates that they could employ and recruit into their companies. And I also don't think there would have been the startups too. There wouldn't have been people skilled in the area. So he saw the potential and did everything possible to support uh, the development of uh, of early campus companies like EUNET and like Iona Technologies. I was involved with bringing the internet to Ireland and he was a director of the company and, and, and he was there to help us steer our, our way through the startup phase. Um, but IUNET was the first commercial supplier so it could it could sell to companies which was the big difference. So on the 17th of June, 1991, uh, Trinity was connected to the internet for the very first time. That connection was the first internet connection, public internet connection in Ireland. It, it was exciting, but did we know what was going to come? I mean, we had no idea what was going to happen. It's, it's, but he knew that this was going to be the next big thing. And as, as has happened even to today, it's, 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 still, it's still evolving and, and increasing. He, he knew this was coming, but as I said before, I wish I had a, a, a fraction of his intellect that, that could, do the, to, to, could predict things like that. Professor John Byrne also campaigned to make computing a Leaving Cert subject. He he certainly did, and that's been a long <laughs> campaign, uh, which is, I think, coming to fruition only now, sort of many, many years later. But he wasn't just a campaign campaigner for bringing computing to a leading cert. I think another of his key themes was uh, increasing the number of women and interested in engineering and computing in particular. So he was, in some sense, a feminist at heart. He certainly promoted uh, women in computing, I mean, I think if you said to him he was a feminist or you said that he was very good at mentoring young staff, he'd probably look a bit askance at you uh, because he w- that kind of terminology wouldn't be in his vocabulary, as it were. But the reality is he was a strong supporter of young people, of women, of young staff and helping them to develop their careers, hugely supportive. You know, very, very practical ways that he would help you, uh, not just for me, but for everybody. When the European Union started funding research, he saw the potential, because there's very little research funding in Ireland, he saw the potential for funding research there. And he really encouraged and got really heavily involved in supporting staff in putting in bids. 
I think a, a lot of uh, academics owe their academic life to Prof Byrne. He fostered people in a way that allowed people to develop their own abilities and their own inclinations in, in computer science. And so if you had some crazy idea, as long as it was interesting at any level, he would encourage you to pursue it. So that's what I'd like to say about him. And there's a lot of people who would be his virtual sons and daughters uh, in the computer science world still in Ireland. But he was an incredible facilitator and an enabler in his very quiet, shy way. I mean, it was, it was absolutely amazing. And also, uh, because the computer engineering degree here was the first computer degree, full-time computer degree in Ireland... And the other universities started to get interested. And he was very willing to help them, support them, point them in the right direction in relation to curriculum development and all sorts of things like that. But somehow or other, the, the lack of ego means that, you know, John facilitated people all around him because he didn't need to possess any of it. So there's a, there's a great freedom about ideas, you know, and uh, I think that was... Uh, well, an important part of, um, of of his enabling of must be thousands of people, you know. And uh... Professor John Byrne spent the last few years of his life in Newtown Park House Nursing Home, where his influence continued. And you've probably heard this that he established really good relationships with the people there. I understand that he helped the management of the nursing home with their administration. Now, this is a man in his 80s dealing with two different tumours. While at Newtown Park, he continued to work on his many projects, such as his collection of computer books and publications, and the project he managed of the digitising of the Trinity Long Room Library Catalogue. The professor's interest in the library's catalogue was initially sparked by his discovery of a rare book by Galileo. The record of the book was buried in the printed catalogue of 1872. It was this that led him on to the digitising of the catalogue, so it was more accessible to scholars. So he kept going back to it and uh, improving on it. He didn't believe in the word retirement, did he? No, 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 no. He, he, he had an amazing mind, really. He never stopped learning something new. He enjoyed it right to the end. His commitment to education also continued right to the end. A couple of the girls there that were looking after him that didn't go to college, always at them to go to college. He was always encouraging them. And he coaxed one of those girls to embark on a a nursing course here in Trinity. You know, if you just think on on it, for a person in, in, in their last years of their life dealing with serious health problems... Do you have any idea of his own legacy? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. He, he, he just, you know, the, well, I just did that. I just, you know, it was never a major thing. A former student and lecturer in Trinity and co-founder of Iona Technologies, Sean Baker. If Prof Byrne hadn't been here, if he hadn't done what he did... There is no doubt in my mind we would still have developed computer science departments in the universities. We still would have developed a software industry in Ireland. Without a doubt, we would have. But we would have been much, much later to the party than we actually were. So would the lack of Prof Byrne have slowed us down by two years? By five years? By ten years? If, for example, 
we had been 10 years later starting, we would without doubt not have the same global position in the software industry that we actually have. Ireland is one of the major exporters of software in the world. Ireland is one of the major innovation hubs in software in Europe. There are 100,000 people working in software in Ireland and software exports are valued at 16 billion. If it hadn't been for Prof Byrne, you have to ask yourself, what would the impact have been on our global positioning if we'd been late to the party? Would we now be number 20, number 50, number 100 in the world? We would definitely not be in one of the top positions that we are in today without the contribution that he made. Everybody I've met, there is a deep, deep respect and regard for Professor Brown. Oh, yeah, yeah. There is absolutely, we are here because of him. Because he was ultimately an enabler. He was a yeah. teacher. He was, yeah, yeah. He knew what to put in front of people, like to get them interested in whatever they were interested in. You know, he wasn't telling them... Uh, do this, do that. Yeah, enabler is, the, is the, exactly the right word. Enable them to reach their potential, yeah. What would you like them to be remembered for? Ah, just a, a lovely human being, you know. Mm. Kind of, he, he will be remembered now whether he likes it or not. For <laughs> The Professor is a Curious Broadcast production funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee. Produced and narrated by Patricia Baker. Edit and final mix, Jerry Horn, Context Studio. Research by Sinead Baker. RTE audio clips are courtesy of RTE Libraries and Archives. Interview with Professor John Byrne, courtesy of Irish Life and Lore.